Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, it all comes down to this. You've been around for Prediction Tuesday today, though. Prediction Thursday, giving you our picks for the college football playoff. It was a sleepless night. Even coming into this morning, we went back and forth on our Sugar Bowl pick, went back and forth a good amount on our Rose Bowl pick. Finally got it for you, though. Welcome into the hard count. This is the People's College Football Show, talking ball every single day right here on this platform, the On3 YouTube channel on this show that is the hard count. If you're new, if you're finding us right now just for this college football playoff run, welcome. I'm Jody Pakel. Like I just said, it's ball, and it's only ball. Nothing else baked into this. Just what you care about when it comes to fall Saturdays. We've got a lot to talk about. Like I said, our playoff picks here in just a matter of moments. Going to split those up throughout the show. Uh, also, the transfer portal, I don't know if you all have noticed, still buzzing. A lot of intel coming over from the On3 socials, whether it be the On3 main account, whether it be our transfer portal account. Follow that at transfer portal underscore. Also, if you're not following Pete Nakos, what are you doing? I call him Petey Portal right now because everything having to do with the portal, my dude is knocking it out of the park. Not so much in the situation where we're getting as many big names jumping in. Still a couple. We'll talk about that. We're kind of moving into the part of the year where we get uh, the intel on the transfer portal. So we'll talk about that here in a second. Also, Kyle McCord. Sounds like Nebraska is no longer in the mix for him. So if you remember correctly, at the beginning of this week, a lot of smoke around a one five-star quarterback that's currently committed to Georgia, going to visit Nebraska this upcoming weekend. Maybe just maybe that scared him away or, or that kind of changed the way that we were viewing that quarterback transfer portal market for Nebraska. We'll talk about that as well, give you our thoughts there. The SEC schedule came out last night. The new SEC schedule for 2024. Got some thoughts there. Got some overarching thoughts on just scheduling as a whole and how we should assess that at this point in the year. Because we're talking about games that are going to be played in November of next year. We're in December of this year. A lot is going to change from our perception of these teams to these rosters. We'll talk about that. Like I said, we're glad to have you here. This place where we talk about college football, like I said, the way that you want to talk about college football. We don't bake anything extra in. We appreciate every other show out there, but we happen to feel like at this point in time, the digital media space is the best spot for college football, and we're happy to be a part of that. We're happy to have you a part of this. I'm J.D. Pakel. Follow me on the social channels to stay up with all that we got going on here on this show, The Hard Count. So that's Twitter. I don't think anybody's calling it X, to be real. I appreciate the sentiment from Elon trying to get that to be called X. We're still calling it Twitter. Follow me there, at J.D. Pakel, also on Instagram, at J.D. Pakel. So let's get right to it, man. The transfer portal. Still buzzing. Like I said, we're not getting as much movement when it comes to the big names that are entering. We still have a little bit of juice there, but it's more so an intel side of things right now. And Cam Ward is a name that's been in the portal. He's the number one quarterback in the transfer portal. Took a visit to Miami. News broke yesterday that he is going to take a visit to Florida State. Now, Jesse Simonson has an article out right now on on3.com talking about why Florida State is the superior option for Cam Ward. And we were talking about before we got ready for the show today, what are going to be the conference title winners for next year when it comes to those teams that are like the early favorites? So myself and Trey Anity, 
in the other room right now on the whiteboard. Oh, okay, maybe we lean this way in the SEC. Maybe we lean this way right now in the Big Ten. Not going to give you the exact picks right now because that would be foolish of us. But when we talk about the ACC, I went you know back and forth for a minute on a couple of teams. And eventually, I just said Cam Ward is winning the ACC. Because that's, I think, how impactful he can be. You plug him into a really elite roster like, I say elite roster, a really young, up-and-coming, and talented roster like Mario Cristobal is bringing at Miami. A couple of freshmen there on both sides of the line of scrimmage, Ruben Bain and Francis Malagoa, that are going to get even better from what they were this past season, which were true freshman All-Americans, according to us here at On3. Also, you have an, a, tra- uh, excuse me, a recruiting class from 2023 that they were a part of that's also going to cycle up. And then 2024 is also looking at this point in time, time of us being live, a top 10 class. So all that's to say for Miami, they're looking pretty good. You, you plug Cam Ward into that operation. You feel pretty good about your chances. They gave the ball away two times a game a season ago. You imagine if, if they're able to just be a little bit more prolific offensively, even just take better care of the football offensively, how much better are they? Because they were 8-4 and four last season, or excuse me, a knee away from being 8-4 and four last season. Finished 7-5, and woulda, shoulda, coulda, I, I get it. But if you take better care of the football and you can operate Shannon Dawson's offense a little bit more effectively, I think you could be cooking with gas there. So that's Miami. But when it comes to Florida State, I see the logic. I do. They're going to have DJU for a visit at this point in time of us being live uh, as well in Tallahassee. But Cam Ward, you'd have to think, is the number one guy for a lot of these teams on their board. That's my assumption. And if I'm Cam Ward, I think the appeal for Florida State is a couple of things. One, it's a stable operation. Like Miami, I just said how talented that roster is, but they're still up and coming. They're still getting that thing off the ground. They're in the early stages. Florida State, they're a few years ahead of that. They probably should have made the college football playoff this past season. They probably should have, you know, been in, in the national title conversation this, this past season. So what does that tell you? Mike Norvell and what he's built there, they're now at cruising altitude. Jordan Travis, obviously no longer playing quarterback there. You plug in a guy of Cam Ward's caliber and his talent. You kind of pick up where you left off would be the thought. So you're, you're not in this upward swing. You're in the spot where you're already like a stable operation, stable organization. Other part of this, if you're Cam Ward, you want to go somewhere where there is proof of concept. And not just at the quarterback position, because it'd be nice to play for an offensive head coach in Mike Norvell, and his offense has averaged 35 points a game the last two years, but also with transfer portal guys. We said this about DJU. The same thing is true for Cam Ward. I feel more confident going to a place like Florida State because of the success of transfer guys. Keon Coleman, seamless transition. Jaheim Bell, seamless transition. Johnny Wilson, seamless transition. Like that's kind of been the thing for Florida State is they have portal guys plug into their roster right away and have success. So wherever he ends up going, we'll obviously talk about it, but Cam Ward is taking a visit to Florida State, took a visit to Miami already. A very, very big fish still out there in the transfer portal pond. Uh, This was news that broke last night. Texas quarterback Malik Murphy, at the time of us being live, has announced that he plans to enter. So if he pops up after the show in the portal, that will mean that he's officially in there, but he's announced he plans to enter. I think there's a fair amount of legitimacy to this. Here's the interesting thing about it. The way the calendar works, Malik Murphy will not be with Texas during their college football playoff run. And you don't fault Malik Murphy. I think you more so fault the college football calendar because Malik Murphy... Let's call a spade a spade. When he stepped in there for them this past season, when Quinn Ewers went down and kept that ship afloat and kept them undefeated during his time, rather, I mean, I understand they had the loss to Oklahoma, but he was undefeated as a starter for Texas. Like, they're not in the college football playoff without Malik Murphy. 
And so you kind of feel bad for the guy, and you feel bad for Texas that they can't have a proven commodity like him as a backup quarterback. Because think about this. God forbid something happened to Quinn Ewers. And we don't root for that. We hope that doesn't happen. Obviously, I think all the college football landscape does. They hope Quinn Ewers is able to stay healthy. But if he ends up going down, you you pass the keys in a playoff game to Arch Manning. Take it a step further. It's been reported that Quinn Ewers is 90% coming back to Texas next year. Let's just say they win it all. Let's get crazy and say Texas wins the whole darn thing. And Quinn Ewers says, you know what? That uh, NFL draft stock of mine is looking pretty good. Maybe I'll go test the waters a little bit. Maybe I'll, uh, I'll jump in and, and try the NFL draft. That 10% hits, and it's like, okay, well, now you got Arch Manning running the show your first year in the SEC. So this is a pretty big domino. I wouldn't say it's enormously unexpected, but I do think it's a pretty big domino as to that transfer portal quarterback market. Keep an eye on where Malik Murphy ends up visiting and, and maybe even where he ends up at. Uh, this is also another report per Chad Simmons. Tennessee edge, who's in the portal, Tyler Barron, Texas, Georgia, Ole Miss, and Alabama have been listed as schools to watch for him. Now, Tyler Barron, extremely productive during his time at Tennessee, 102 tackles, 13 and a half sacks in his four-year college career for a defensive lineman, for an edge. Those are phenomenal numbers. Notice all those schools in the SEC. So this is a thing now. Again, we're seeing a talented individual on a talented team in the SEC hitting the portal, and wanting to stay in the SEC. You would think Georgia and Bama would get a fair amount of the early buzz just by nature of what they've done on the defensive line. But hey, look look at Ole Miss. We talk about Ole Miss trying to take that next step. Having Princely Uman Mielin on for a visit. Walter Nolan's going to visit. That's the next step now. And Credit Lane Kiffin, he's trying to build the trenches through the portal. Builds his roster through the portal, but he's doing a lot on the trenches side of things right now as well. Then Texas had not one but two All-Americans on the defensive line this past season. Steve Sarkeesian's not playing around. So keep an eye on Tyler Barron. He's a big fish out there. And uh, we'll obviously talk more about him as we get more of a gauge for where he could be headed. This is uh, just a fun storyline as a whole. Drew Pine going back to Notre Dame, not to play football, though. Good for this guy, man. Going to get his degree at Notre Dame. You remember Drew, Drew Pine was previously playing quarterback at Notre Dame in relief of Tyler Buckner. Didn't do a bad job, I thought. Kept the ship afloat for the most part. Ends up transferring to Arizona State. Get some time there. It doesn't work out. He says, I want to go get my degree from Notre Dame. Thought that was a notable transfer portal name that popped up there. Something that we should probably at least at least reference a little bit during transfer portal season. Now, here's the big news. And we'll do a full segment on this later in the live show, but I wanted to make sure we touched on this early on. Kyle McCord is moving on from Nebraska. Now, I want to make this very clear. This was not a, a decision where the staff said, hey, Kyle McCord, here's the deal. We don't have space for you anymore. I talked to folks very close to Nebraska that said they would have loved to grab Kyle McCord via the portal. Guys lost like three games since the seventh grade as a starting quarterback. All right, dude's a winner. Say what you want about his time at Ohio State. Dude is a winner, proven commodity in the Big Ten Conference. Remember, as he was on his visit at Nebraska, the rumbling started to break that Dylan Riola, maybe just maybe, was going to flip his commitment from Georgia to Nebraska. That's, an, that's another five-star quarterback. And the, the rumblings or the way that you'd have to think about it is adding Kyle McCord into a situation like that where he just came from Ohio State where he had to fight and scratch and claw for his job. You would imagine he would want to end up somewhere where he's able to 
kind of be the guy and know he's going to be the guy and be built around and not have this whole thing where he goes through another high-profile quarterback battle. I think Kyle McCord just wants to spin it and doesn't want to do all the extra stuff with the quarterback battle and have other buzz around a five-star quarterback behind him. So we'll see if that actually even ends up happening with Dylan Raiola. He's visiting this upcoming weekend uh, to Lincoln, but very, very notable because, again, Nebraska, they wanted him. They wanted him. So... Again, we'll talk more about that here in a second, what that means for Nebraska, what that means for Dylan Raiola, how you should feel if you're a Nebraska fan, but that's kind of the, the juice as of late out of the portal. And uh, right now, man, it doesn't take a break, so make sure you keep it locked right here so you don't miss a minute of the portal coverage here with us at On3. Again, man, Pete Nakos, Pete Schefter is probably what you should be calling him. See, he's got the portal covered backwards, forwards, all around. All right, let's get right to it now. Like I said, a lot of sleepless nights. A lot of back and forth on both these games. But it's going to be Alabama and Michigan in the college football playoff. New Year's Day, the Rose Bowl, 5 Eastern, ESPN. And to me, this is the most pure college football kind of matchup that we could have gotten. Two iconic, historic brands. You know, and, and the Block M and, and the Script A, you got the Rose Bowl. That is the best venue, not just in college sports, the best venue in all of sports. I don't care what you're throwing out there. The Rose Bowl, hands down, the best. You're going to have the sunset off the mountains. Like, it's going to be awesome. Michigan favored by a point and a half. Believe this opened at Michigan minus two. It's down to a point and a half. Regardless, though, it's going to be a phenomenal game. I think that spread, just so we're real, that margin... Whichever way we lean here, it's, it's going to be a tight one, all right? Alabama, this is not your typical Bama team. Because what do we think about Alabama historically? Dominant. Nick Saban and company just going wire to wire. They're preseason number one, and they just run the table all the way through, and they end up in the college football playoff, and they're right there. Like, that's not what this Bama team is. This Bama team, you see it a lot on social media. Lank, L-A-N-K, let all naysayers know. How often have we talked about Alabama having any naysayers? Right? This is a new Alabama team, and I think they love that underdog role. I think they feed off of it. I think they relish it. And I also don't think they played their best football game yet. Because we said it about the game against Georgia in the SEC title game. Alabama was super impressive. Nothing otherworldly about that performance. They played a really good Georgia team, really tough. Jalen Milrow had less than 200 yards passing. They didn't have a tremendous day running the football. You factor in sacks to that. But all that's to say, Alabama being in this playoff spot, having made it in there. I don't know if you saw their reaction when they found out they did make the playoff, but it was Nick Saban giving a little golf clap. There was no eruption. There was nobody standing up and hooting and hollering. It was like, good, good. That would terrify me if I had to play Alabama in the college football playoff. Now, however, Michigan, they're not terrified. They're not terrified because they expected to be here. Not just because of the way they played in the Big Ten title and being undefeated. Of course, that feeds into it. But I mean, like, rewind the tape all the way back to spring practice. This was always the mission for Michigan. This was always what everyone signed up for. Because they've been here the last two years. Personnel has changed around a little bit. The mission has not. 0 for 2 the last two seasons. Especially last season, fired a lot of these guys belly. That's why a lot of these guys did come back. That's why they're top five returning production, or at least you have to imagine that helped things. There's an extra edge to this team. Yes, because of what happened last season, but also all that's happened this season. Jim Harbaugh getting suspended the first three games of the year. And they're getting suspended the last three games of the year as well. This is a team that I think is tighter than ever. External noise sometimes has a negative impact on locker rooms. This is not the case. I think they are chomping at the bit to get after it. So what does it come down to for us in this game? I think the first thing that we're watching is the trade-off slash the demand for explosive plays. Because if you picked Alabama 
you probably think that Isaiah Bond and Jermaine Burton are going to stretch the field. And if they stretch the field, well, then that probably means they're scoring some points through the year, having some quick strike plays, and that probably means there's pressure on Michigan to match that. And so if you're an Alabama fan, again, if you're picking Bama, period, you probably think that's the way this game is going to go. Now, if you're a Michigan pick here, if you're saying, all right, the Wolverines, they're going to show up to the Rose Bowl and handle business, you think there's probably not that many explosive plays, period. And if there are explosive plays, it's coming later in the game. Because Michigan, the way that they operate, man, how many times have we said it? Dating back to last season, it's the equivalent of putting that heavy weight on your back. They are going to wear you down from quarter one to quarter four. And that first quarter, man, you put the weight on your back. You're like, all right, this isn't too bad. I can kind of hold this up. By that 45th minute, by minute 50, as we get closer and closer to the end of that game, you start to start to kind of lose your balance. You crumble. That's what Michigan does. And a big part of that, obviously, is going to be limiting explosives and being able to go on those long drives to where they don't have the sense of urgency, where they got to match you score for score, and they're chasing a 10-point you know, deficit. That's, that's not the kind of game that Michigan, I believe, wants to play. And again, if you're picking Michigan, probably not the kind of game that you're anticipating them playing. Very, very big impact on tempo, depending on what kind of explosives we get here. Now, neither team, to be clear, is giving up many explosives, period. Both are giving up less than five yards of play defensively. A big thing to watch here is the conflict that Jalen Milrow is able to create with his legs. We said it on our live show yesterday, talking about X-Factors. When Isaiah Bond, Jermaine Burton, whoever you want to fill in the blank there with an Alabama receiver, if they're able to stretch the field, what I think would happen then is you create more real estate across the board. And you would anticipate Michigan probably trying to spy Jalen Milrow to some degree or at least address what he does with his legs. And to be real, like Jalen Milrow is probably going to be the best athlete on the field. And so if that spy is even just a little bit out of position, Jalen Milrow is going to eat that angle up and get north and south. And at that point in time, that third level of the defense got your work cut out for you. And if we're beating you through the air, well, then I might be a little bit more slow to turn around and try and attack Jalen Milrow when he gets downhill. I, I might kind of stick on my receiver because I don't want that explosive play to happen again. Again, that's a very big if, but a huge variable. If they can get some plays downfield, the conflict Jalen Milrow creates with his legs, ooh, it's a game breaker. That's a game breaker. Now, here's the other thing for Michigan. Their game breaker is what they do in the trenches against Alabama. This is who Michigan is. We've seen it all year long. We saw it probably most visibly against Penn State where they were like, you know what? We know J.J. McCarthy can throw the football, but we're not going to do that at all. <laughs> we're going to run the football for the entirety of the second half. Their philosophy is we got a sledgehammer and we're going to take it to your wall of a defense for you know the first two to three quarters. And if it doesn't break we're still swinging the sledgehammer. So their ability to wear down this Alabama defense is going to be huge. A lot of Blake Corum, a lot of Donovan Edwards. That's pretty much par for the course. Now, Alabama, they're only allowing right around three and a half yards of carry on the season, but especially against Georgia, what they did in that third and second level, those safeties and linebackers closing the space, not allowing perimeter runs, that was huge, and that was why they were able to limit Georgia to the number they did, less than, two, less than three yards of carry, that is. Michigan's success to me in this department looks like three to four yards of carry. We don't need the big 20-yard run. Probably you'll get those later in the game if you're able to get three to four yards in the first quarter. Just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. And then eventually that big, you know, that, that big run pops, that weight gets too heavy. Then you wear them down, controlling the tempo, and you make Jalen Middle on that offense watch a fair amount of this game. 
Also, whenever you're able to kind of create some pressure on the ground, you're able to kind of give them a little bit of squeeze running the football, uh, that shot will then be there at some point in time. At some point in time, one of those safeties will creep down too close to the line of scrimmage, and you'll hit Roman Wilson over the top, you'll hit Colston Loveland over the top, whatever that looks like. Now, Alabama's success in this kind of department looks like you force Michigan into a lot of passing situations. To put it more simply, you force Michigan into a spot where they have to go with their offhand. And this is kind of something we've talked about all year for Michigan, even, even in the preseason. We said this, for Michigan to win a national title in this spot to beat Alabama, you will need J.J. McCarthy to deliver for you like the mailman. Like, like this, this is the game. This is the spot where, hey, we're probably going to be a little bit, at some point in time, evenly matched in the line of scrimmage. Maybe not the entirety game, but at some point you will need him to make some throws for you and push the ball downfield. Explosive plays, right? That's the thing. I think you'll need that to some degree in this game if you're J.J. McCarthy. Now, the subplot within that, too, J.J. McCarthy being the difference maker with his arm, obviously, is a big part of this. But I think also what he does with his legs will be huge. We've seen Alabama struggle with this against Auburn, against LSU. Mobile quarterbacks, they've had an issue sorting out that motion. Did a great job stopping the run against Georgia, but you're not worried about Carson Beck running the football. You are with J.J. McCarthy. What he does whenever he tucks it on a read option or on maybe they, they throw something else in there and a little bit jet sweep quarterback midline, like stuff like that Alabama struggled with. J.J. McCarthy, he's a good athlete, man. Right around that 4-5 range as a 40-yard guy, like he can move for you. How much of a impact does that have? How much does Michigan even need to go with that? Because I think that's going to be a huge changeup that we'll see in this ballgame. I think that could be a little bit of spice that Michigan might need to pick up some, some big first downs on third down against Alabama. Then also what he does ad-libbing. I mean, Alabama, they play a lot of man coverage. It's really easy to play man coverage for like two seconds. But if you got to play man coverage for like four or five seconds and J.J. McCarthy's back there, Pirates of the Caribbean style, and you're having to chase him all around the yard and he just goes backyard football, running right, throwing left, like that, that is, a, that is a, the longer the play goes, in my opinion, the more it will favor Michigan in that kind of spot for J.J. McCarthy. So keep an eye on that and keep an eye on how, uh, how Alabama handles that. Now, here's my big question. Who plays better tennis? saying, J.D., you're playing football it's in the Rose Bowl. I'm not, a, I'm not a tennis guy. Neither am I. But by nature of the style of the game, both of these teams will feed on the other team's mistake. Like Alabama, the way they beat Georgia was not giving them anything to feed off of, was not giving them any turnovers. Alabama, if Michigan makes that mistake, will be able to then, I think, create some distance. Like let's say Michigan fumbles somewhere on the 50. Alabama's got it going in. And the score is already 3-0 Alabama. Well, then Alabama goes and puts a touchdown on the board. It's 10-0 Bama. Whoa. Then Michigan might have to press a little bit more. That would not be a world you want to live in if you're Michigan. Now, on the other side of things, if Jalen Milrow reverts back to what we saw against Texas in Week 2, puts the ball in harm's way a couple of times, not only will Alabama be probably having to play from behind, they'll probably be having to play from behind and they'll have to watch a fair amount of this game as Michigan goes on a drive for like six to eight minutes and takes the life out of your defense. All right, that's enormously impactful just for Michigan being able to wear down Alabama, much less score. The longer defense is out there, the less it will favor Bama. So again, we went back and forth a lot on our pick on this one. I could see either team winning the football game, to be 100% honest. The thing I'm, I'm really leaning on the most 
is a new Jalen Milrow. Like Jalen Milrow has had one interception since the month of November started, taking much better care of the football. They're leaning much more into what he does. And when I watched what they did against Georgia, a lot of quarterback design runs around the edge. In Georgia, defensively, I think is a little bit more athletic than what Michigan brings. I'm not saying that Michigan isn't as good as Georgia defensively. I'm saying if you've got to chase Jalen Milrow, I wonder what that third level and second level of the defense will be able to do in terms of closing up space and attacking a guy like him because they have not seen a guy like him the entirety of the season. To be fair, there's not too many guys like Jalen Milrow playing football right now at the collegiate level. So let's make sure that's clear. The way they attacked Georgia gives me confidence they can do the same thing to Michigan because it wasn't a thing where they got out-schemed against Georgia. It wasn't like Georgia just didn't see it coming. It was they got out on the perimeter, they beat them to the edge, and then were more physical out there. If they can do that again, I think Alabama has to feel pretty good about their chances. So, again, I think it's back and forth. I think it's going to be a very, very low margin for error kind of game. Could see it kind of being an NFL style in terms of the flow of the game. I think Alabama ends up winning. I think it's super close. I'll take them by a field goal. I think it's Bama 29-26 in the Rose Bowl. And they punch their ticket to the national championship. So what that would mean, I think it is further proof that there is nothing fluky about this Alabama team. Because we remember football and snapshots, and we think about week two, we think about Texas, we think about Milrow not even playing the next week against USF. And all that just feels like such a distant memory if the confetti's falling in Pasadena, and they're up there holding that Sugar Bowl, tro- or Rose Bowl trophy, rather, and they're headed to Houston, which, by the way, is the hometown of a one Jalen Milrow, a little homecoming for him. So I've said it all season long. I'll say it again. This Alabama team is not playing over their head. They are not somehow having some superhuman effort. This is a team full of five stars and full of guys that portaled to Alabama that came from a a really elite level of play and are now playing to their level of talent. So nothing fluky. They're just kind of meshing at the right time. And uh, we'll take Alabama to win. Obviously, they're the underdog here, so we'll take them to cover as well. So we got Bama punching their ticket, being one of those teams headed to the national championship game. Now, we talked about it a little bit earlier in the show, but I want to rewind the tape a little bit here and talk about Kyle McCord. News broke last night. Kyle McCord will not be pursuing. This is crucial. Kyle McCord's not pursuing. Not Nebraska's not pursuing. Kyle McCord is no longer pursuing Nebraska when it comes to where he might end up landing next. So if you're a Nebraska fan, I think you feel probably two different ways. The first feeling you have is, dang, that was our proven commodity. That would have been the immediate upgrade. So much smoke around Kyle McCord, you know, not being the guy at Ohio State because he was a game manager. It's like, no, no, no. If we have a game manager a season ago, if we're in Nebraska, maybe we punch our ticket to Indianapolis. 24 touchdowns, six picks. That was substantially better than anything Nebraska had at quarterback a season ago. So I think the fit would have been there because it would have required a different amount of performance, different amount of production than what was required at Ohio State to be successful at Nebraska. So the first thought is gut punch. We would have liked to have him on our roster. And then you probably went to bed, woke up this morning, thought about it some more, and you said, okay, well, if Kyle McCord's not coming, what does that mean for what our staff is saying to people about Dylan Riola? Now, again, I don't know this to be true, but this is kind of the way it feels to me. I think Kyle McCord wants to go somewhere where he's going to be the guy. And that's, that's not saying Kyle McCord's running from competition. The dude stuck it out and won the job at Ohio State. Dude's a competitor. I think he wants to go somewhere where he's just going to be able to know that he's going to be built around, that he's trusted, and that he's the guy from day one. That's the way that it feels to me. 
Also, you have to believe if Dylan Raiola does flip and goes to Nebraska, it's kind of the same song, second verse of what you were living in if you were at Ohio State. If you don't perform well early at Nebraska, there'll be this guy breathing down your neck and saying, well, this five-star, he's so good. Maybe he needs to play. Maybe he's the right guy. Like, there will be all this juice behind you, all this, all this noise that you probably don't really want to deal with. Again, that's my assessment. I don't know that to be true about Common Court. So I think the thing I would think today, if I'm a Nebraska fan, is all right. Well, if we weren't off on Kyle McCord, if, if we weren't saying, hey, Kyle, thanks, but no thanks, and we're just having a transparent conversation, I'm reading the way that things look right here, where there's smoke, there's fire. I think it just adds more fuel to the fire for the Dylan Riola train. Now, I would say this too, if you're a Nebraska fan. To me, if Kyle McCord sticks with this whole thing, and he doesn't end up going to Nebraska, which is, again, what he's saying he's going to do right now, and you land Dylan Riola, to me, that's you saying, all right, Dylan Riola, for better or for worse. And it's easy to say for better or for worse when you're at the altar and everybody's happy, it's good vibes, you're at the wedding, it's like, yes, till death do us part. It's a lot harder when you're out there in week eight and it's cold and Dylan is still going through some freshman growing pains and you're like, oh boy, what did we do? Because to me, I think Dylan Raiola, if he goes to Nebraska, I have a hard time believing he's not the guy as a true freshman. Because you know what you have on that roster, right? Chubba Purdy did some really good things. Are you playing him over Dylan Raiola? I'm just asking. Heinrich Harburg had the best touchdown interception ratio last season, 7-7. Seven and seven. Is he giving you a better chance to win than Dylan Raiola? I'm just saying, I think the mystique and allure of landing a five-star quarterback and what he could mean for your team long-term is exciting. But I just want to make sure we're on the same page here. Dylan Raiola is still a true freshman. Dylan Raiola still has not played a down of college football. So if he does flip from Georgia to Nebraska, I think you are kind of locking yourself into, all right, this is our guy. Till death do his part, better or worse. Touchdown interception, like, we'll roll with it. We'll roll with it. So keep an eye on that situation. Again, he's visiting this upcoming weekend and expect there to be a ton of noise around what he could mean for Nebraska and a ton of noise around Matt Rule and all that if he does end up flipping. There's going to, be, uh, going to be a parade in the street, and there should be in Lincoln if that happens. So extremely talented. I just want to make sure we got clear on the fact that, yes, he's super talented. Yes, he's got elite arm talent, but he's still a freshman. So Kyle McCord now, the proven commodity, sounds like he's going somewhere else. Dylan Raiola got a lot of eggs in that basket. Have to believe if you're a Nebraska fan today. Let's keep on moving along here. Let's go to uh, the SEC schedule in here. We'll talk about the Sugar Bowl here in just a matter of moments. But the new SEC schedule was released last night. The 2024 slate is going to involve Oklahoma, going to involve Texas. The tectonic plates have now shifted as we move into the new era of college football as we know it. How do we talk about the scheduling for the SEC? What do we think? What are our immediate thoughts of the scheduling for next season in the Southeastern Conference? I think my first thought, and this is not having to do with the schedule, how we release these things. Y'all see the way the NFL does it? And they got funny cartoons and they got cool graphics. And like the SEC did it, I think, in a good enough way. But I'm saying like, let's let's go forward here. If we're going to try and be NFL junior for the, the college football world and the SEC specifically, I'm not for it. But if we're going to do it, let's go all the way into it. I would love to see them match the NFL juice when it comes to their creativity with that schedule release, all right? So the first thing that stood out to me now, Alabama and Georgia in the regular season is going to be awesome. Not to say that, that we would never get that in the other SEC model, 
But I do think going to 2024, like we're going to get a pretty good gauge for where things stand when it comes to the postseason between those two teams. But we get it September 28th. So that's going to be awesome. That's going to be a blockbuster. I can't wait for that. Now, if you're a Florida fan this morning, probably shaking your head a little bit and like, gosh, dang, man. Year three of the Billy Napier era. We're still trying to get this thing off the ground and the SEC gives us this kind of schedule. They got Georgia, neutral site, at Texas, LSU, Ole Miss, and at Florida State to finish. The month of November for Florida is the equivalent of the Hunger Games. So we'll see where we sit with the the view of those opponents when it gets closer to that part of the year, obviously. But I just think starting the year, like you feel pretty confident Georgia's going to be elite. You're at Texas. Tough road game, obviously. And Texas is a college football playoff team. It sounds like Quinn Ewers is coming back. Ole Miss has been just, uh, I mean, two 10-win seasons out of the last three years. Florida State, who knows what happens with who they get at quarterback, but you expect Mike Norvell and company to be vicious. It's it's a rivalry game going on the road. So, like, that's going to be brutal. And it's brutal, especially, like I just said, as you're trying to get this whole operation up and running. So, we'll keep an eye on that one. Uh, Texas. I don't see a welcome to the SEC moment on their schedule. You got Georgia, but that's in Austin. Kentucky, Florida, Mississippi State are all your, you know, on the road. But are those are those really, excuse me, I'll rephrase that. Kentucky, Florida, and Mississippi State, I believe, are all home games. Your hardest road game is at A&M. That's your toughest SEC game is just down the road going to College Station. For Texas, I think you got to feel like you kind of made out pretty well with this one now I would say this too they do also play Michigan in the non-conference so it's not like Texas is just getting off completely easy they still play two of the best teams in the country you'd have to imagine but as a whole an SEC play outside of that game at Michigan overall like probably feel pretty good about the schedule Oklahoma pretty decent schedule for the most part their finish is brutal though man they got Missouri they got a bye week and they got Alabama, and then they finish at LSU. So the reason why I think that's so critical to look at the finish there, the big finish, that's going to have a pretty massive impact, I believe, on their college football playoff hopes. Remember, we go to 12 teams now. So we're not talking about just having four. The number 13 team in the country in those final college football playoff rankings was LSU. They had a 9-3 thir- and three record. Why is that important? What this tells us is the landscape, more often than not, is going to favor if you have a two-loss record you feel pretty good about making that top 12 but if you don't you know then then we're kind of doing the palms up and saying I don't know what happens to you and Oklahoma with what they have on the schedule with to to finish again Bama LSU uh, you still also play uh, Texas you're at Missouri like I don't know I don't know how that's going to work out if you're Oklahoma that that finish is going to be brutal with it being in November too when everyone's beat up having to dig deep probably playing a first year starter at quarterback in Jackson Arnold like they're going to they're gonna earn their way to that 12-team playoff. Make no mistake about it. Now, this to me, with the SEC schedule coming out last night, this is the cool part about realignment. Like, just transparently, y'all that watch the show, you know, I'm not for the 12-team playoff. I'm not for expansion. I'm not for realignment. Like, I'm a college football traditionalist, purist, whatever kind of label you want to put on it. I like the way college football has been. We've gotten to this point in college football because of how awesome the game is. We don't need to tinker with something that's awesome. You don't try and do better than awesome, all right? Now, with that being said, I think you probably feel the same way about this as you would a remake or a sequel or whatever. You gripe about it for a while, if you're anything like me, and then you eventually get to the release date. You sit down in the theater for that sequel of the movie, and you're like, all right, I'm pumped for this now. 
Like now, okay, I'm actually pretty excited. I got my icy, I got my popcorn. Like I'm ready to watch this movie. That's kind of how I feel about this whole scheduling thing. I was a little bit like, Ugh, don't love that we're changing this best sport in the world. But now that I see we're going to get Oklahoma and Bama, all right, yeah, of course, twist my arm. Okay, I'll tune into that. Okay, we get we get Georgia, Bama in September. Yeah, all right, I'm here for that. Texas and Georgia and Austin. Yeah, when, when it comes to that day on the calendar, I'm going to be pretty stoked about it. We're going to enjoy it. One more thing I would say here, there's so much talk around how hard people's schedule is by nature of what we think it's going to like, like when we get to uh, November. We think the schedule will play out a certain way by nature of what these opponents will be sitting here in December of 2023. We're looking at November of 2024. We don't know what these teams are going to be. Like, we think that the game against LSU will be pretty tricky. They're not playing Jane Daniels anymore. Garrett Nussmeyer is a, a whole question mark for a lot of us. Bama, I mean, we, we think they're phenomenal this year. Are they going to be able to sustain that success year in and year out? Georgia, they're going to play a new quarterback, or maybe they're sticking with Carson Beck. We'll see. That's a big question mark. Probably feel pretty good about Georgia, to be honest. We think Florida's going to be a team that is still struggling to find a way. What happens if Graham Mertz catches fire? What I'm trying to say here is we don't know what we don't know. And proof of that is how we viewed some of these teams this past season in the SEC. Arkansas going into the year, we're like, yeah, they'll be decent. Over under win total is right around seven. They went four and eight. Arkansas wasn't who we thought they were. I'm not throwing shade at Arkansas. I'm just trying to make a point here. Missouri, we're like, they'll be all right. They'll be good. I mean, win total for them in Vegas is six and a half. Probably about right for them. They went 10 and two. If you drew Missouri today, you feel much different than you would have felt about drawing Missouri a year ago. So what I'm trying to say is, again, we don't know what we don't know when we talk about the level of difficulty for these teams. We have a pretty good gauge, but at the end of the day, it might look very, very different when it comes to November of next year than what it is right now, December of 2023. So the new college football era is here. We were, we went kicking and screaming the entire way, but we're here and we're going to put on a brave face. We're going to be happy about it and we're going to enjoy it. We got our, we got our, uh, our icy, our popcorn, and we're going to lean all the way into this thing. All right, the last college football playoff prediction. For this playoff field. We already got Bama in the title game. What's going to happen in this one? Texas, Washington, New Year's Day, 845 Eastern, ESPN in New Orleans. All right. Caesar Superdome. It's going to be a movie. We talked about the way that Bama and Michigan's going to play out. Kind of two iconic brands, iconic background. This one to me feels a little bit more new age. Washington is a little bit more of a modern kind of feel to it. Texas also kind of the, the new Texas. We talked about that a lot. For Washington, I want to make sure we say this, because we've said it all season long. I want to make sure we get it in this preview video, because a lot of y'all are going to see this. This is not TCU. They might have the same color scheme. They might have had a similar finish to their season with having to win some close games. To be clear, Washington actually won their conference. TCU did not a season ago. Washington is better across the board. Better quarterback play, better skill players, better in the trenches. They are not TCU from last year. So let's make sure we get that thing straight. There is zero flinch across the board. Watching them, they might be the most poised team in college football. I mean, listening to Michael Penix Jr. talk after the Pac-12 title game, dude looked bored. <laughs> well, he was just having a, a normal day at the office, talking to somebody after his work day. Just won the Pac-12 title game, punched a ticket to the college football playoff, and he just looked like he was having a, a again, normal day at the office. Same thing with Kalen DeBoer. Zero flinch for them. I expect nothing less in a, in a spot like this. For Texas, this is New Texas. Favored by four points in this game. 
and they've worked to get back to a point like this where the brand is at a point where it's nationally recognized and nationally taken seriously. Regardless of what happens in this game, I think you got to feel really good about the future on the 40 acres under Steve Sarkeesian. Because remember when he took it over? First year, they're 5-7. and seven. You got the Bo Davis rant on the bus. We're talking about the dysfunction that Texas is. They go 8-4 and four last season. 8-5, and five actually, counting this loss to Washington and the Alamo Bowl. We'll talk about that here in a second. But Texas has arrived at a new spot. And this, to me, them being in this game is confirmation they are on a new playing field in the college football world. There's no more underachieving Texas, underdeveloping Texas. That's not this team. And I don't think we see that in a game like this. I think both these teams will bring their best. We talk about consistency for Washington and for Texas across the landscape of this past season. I think in this game, we see the best version of both. So how does that shake out? Well, we saw a version of this game a season ago in the Alamo Bowl. I think both teams are different from then, just to make sure we're on the same page. When we talk about breaking down this game, it feels a lot like you got to use the video game lens, like playing NCAA 14 with your boy back in the day. God bless him. We get a new game here very, very soon. Fingers crossed. When we, when we break down this game, we talk about the video game effect. How would those games go with your boy? Was it a defensive grudge match? Probably not. Probably wasn't a back and forth in that sense. The over-under here, I believe, is at 64 and a half. Right now, I lean towards the over. I think this will be a game where both teams are scoring a ton of points. It might come down to who has the ball last. That was probably how it went when you and your boy were playing NCAA back in the day. Both teams are scoring 35 points a game or more. Dynamic offenses. To make matters worse, uh, both secondaries aren't quite as elite as the offensive side of the ball is for these teams. Both giving up over 240 yards a game. So what happens then? What happens when you get into a shootout? Well, I think when we think about those games we played with our buddy in NCAA, it came down to a couple of things, and one of which being, who is able to shift gears the best? Maybe a better question is, who gets to shift gears in a spot like this? Dylan Johnson against these Texas trenches and the Texas running back committee against Washington. I think if you're able to get leverage, especially late in the game, you're going to need to slow it down. Because the last thing you want to do, if you're up by seven in the fourth quarter, is give Michael Penix Jr. the ball back, or give Quinn Ewers the ball back, especially by nature of the way that this game goes. I think both can run the ball. Who gets to run the ball is my big question. Now, to be clear, Texas, their run defense, top five in the country. Washington, they haven't been tremendous stopping the run, but they've been, they've been decent enough. Texas, to be clear, made more of an effort to run the football this season. C.J. Baxter is the guy who I expect to carry the majority of the load in this ballgame. Right now, Texas is somewhere in the range of 190 yards a game on the ground. That's great, but are you able to take advantage of that to the nth degree because you're not having to chase Washington being down by 10 points or more? I'm just saying, that's the big question here. Dylan Johnson averaging six yards a carry against ranked opponents. A lot of talk around them being TCU and them being this you know, deep ball kind of football team. And they definitely are a deep ball kind of football team. We'll talk about Michael Penix Jr. here a little bit more in a second. But what I saw against Oregon, who's also one of the best run-stopping teams in the country, Dylan Johnson just went to work. Showed his SEC background, having been at Mississippi State. Ran for over 100 yards. Like They made a point to pound the rock, and they did it really effectively against a really good Oregon front. If they can do that again in this spot, I think that changes the level of margin they have to play with offensively. Because I think when you look at Washington, one of my questions is, how much do you depend on Michael Penix Jr.? As much as they did running the football against Oregon, they're still a pass-first team. Throwing the ball 57% of the time. One of the best in the country. 
one of the highest rates in the country, rather, I should say. Roma Dunze is an NFL wide receiver. Jalen Polk, Jalen McMillan, NFL wide receivers. They're needing to get theirs. But anytime you live by the sword, you also die by the sword. So if we're taking shots deep and we're connecting, that's great. But if we're not, find ourselves in second and 10. Heck, maybe find ourselves in third and seven. And at that point, the pressure dials up a little bit more on Michael Penix Jr. Now, my question here for Texas, can they get pressure with four? Because Oregon, they really did a lot to try and, as Dan Lanning put it, change the picture against Washington. Tried to bring a blitz from a different spot, tried to heat him up. And I love the idea, but to be honest, like anytime you give less numbers on the back end against Michael Penix Jr., he's going to find it. He's going to find it. And when he does find it, he's going to exploit it for a big play. And Texas, we talked about the secondary. They're already not great on the back end. Pretty good in that front seven. If they can get a push in that pocket and speed him up at that level, good things will happen for Texas. Because at that point, you're able to apply pressure, speed up the shot clock, but more importantly, you have all of your resources on the back end that you're going to need to defend the monsters that are the Washington wide receiver court. Now, my question for Texas, they're going to be aggressive. Going to be extremely aggressive, and the story for them is consistent across the board. They are so multiple throwing the football. It really is pick your poison. Jatavian Sanders. I said it yesterday. I think he's the best tight end playing college football that's not named Brock Bowers. Stand by that statement. Xavier Worthy will be in all everything weapon for them in this game. Adonai Mitchell, I don't know if we talked about him yet, but if we haven't, we will talk about him when it comes to this game. If I'm Washington, I don't worry about defending the entire field. I don't worry about taking away each and every guy. My question is, can you take away one? Can you take away one? Because Jabbar Muhammad, corner for Washington, was phenomenal in that Pac-12 title game. Took away Troy Franklin. He had nine targets, four catches less than 40 yards receiving. Like, that was a big thing for Oregon in that game, not having their explosive weapon like that. Good news for Texas is, if you take away one guy, they still have other guys that can hurt you. But I think for Washington, you have to just try and take away one of these options and then do your best on the rest. Because going back to the NCAA 14 metaphor here, breaking down this game, who else would win that football game when y'all were trading scores back and forth, the games in the 40s? It's a matter of who gets the ball last. The individual that won the football game, the video game rather, probably was able to make that big turnover at some point in time in the game. And here's the key part, get leverage. If you can get leverage and play with a lead in this game and create separation, that's going to be the difference maker. Now, the separation point within that, to me, could be fourth down. Because Texas, man, Steve Sarkeesian is going to stick to his guns. If he's rolling the dice in Tuscaloosa, Alabama in week two of the college football season and going for it on fourth down, he's not changing his tune in New Orleans against Washington. He's not. So they're going to go for it on fourth down a fair amount, and that might be the difference maker in this game. When they're aggressive and they try and push the envelope and try and pick up that fourth down on the 40-yard line going in, if they get that and extend drives, maybe they're able to create separation that way. Probably advantage Texas. Now, if not, if they give it back to Michael Penix Jr. in Washington, they're probably scoring points. And you're saying, man, we had an empty possession there. We can't have that. Cannot have that. Probably also a thing where you got to get seven instead of three. Should go without saying. So, look at last year's game. Final score, Washington. I believe they won 27-24 when it comes to the Alamo Bowl last season. Feel free to fact check me on that. The bottom line is Washington was the better football team a season ago. Look at that box score. Texas ran the football just over 100 yards. I don't think that happens again. 
I don't think Texas has that kind of output on the ground. I think Quinn Ewers is much more poised. Washington fans have said it all season long, J.D., pick against us. Every time you pick against us, we win. It's actually not 100% true. I picked y'all to beat USC, and you did. So we'll kind of throw that one in the win column for us. Also, I'm from Issaquah. Right? I, got no, I got no hate for the Huskies, brother. I was born not too far from where Washington actually is, where, where the University of Washington actually is. Even with that being said, I think being multiple in a football game like this is the difference maker. I think the Texas run defense is going to hold up their end of the bargain. And I think that the Texas ability to be multiple getting downhill, running the football, and then also being able to have too many weapons for Washington to deal with is going to be the difference maker. So I think it's close. Again, we like the over in this one. We'll take Texas final score 37-33 in Nolens. Sets up an Alabama-Texas rematch from where we're standing. But if you're Steve Sarkeesian, man, at this point you have put something together getting to the national championship game that nobody can argue with. Nobody can, can say anything about what Steve Sarkeesian in Texas did previous seasons because at this point it's work. You've built to this point. You got yourself in that football game. So if I'm Texas, feel good enough about my chances, and if, if that confetti drops in New Orleans in the Sugar Bowl, vibes are high. And uh, I think at that point you kind of drop the mic on all the, well, this Texas isn't this and they're not that. Like all those old narratives at that point, they're dead. They're very much dead. We don't do the whole Texas is back thing. But again, at this point, Texas will have very much so arrived. So, there we go. Our picks are out there. They're out there. We got Texas winning the Sugar. We got Bama winning the Rose. I expect both to be tremendous football games. And I can't wait to watch it unfold. That's kind of the best part of this whole thing. So, let me know on Twitter and on Instagram, at J.D. Piquel, where you agree, where you disagree. And I'm sure we'll have a great time chopping it up. If we get a Bama-Texas rematch, too, uh, we were there on hand in Week 2, and that was a game that... Um, I think when and if they replay it, both those teams have progressed a lot since that game. We'll just say that. So we got to get to the live chat here in just a second. Got one quick ad read for y'all, and then we will go from there. So get those questions in right now. In the next 60 seconds or so, we will get to your questions, thoughts, concerns. Heck, even your college football playoff picks. Going to get those college football playoff picks here in a second from our guy, Nick Brake. So stay tuned for that. Hard Count is brought to you today by our good friends at Roback. I wear Roback the majority of the days that I'm not working or I'm not actually in the office. And y'all know I love Roback. And the reason why I wear it so much because they have the best polos, best crewnecks, best hoodies on the market. We're into that part of the year now. A little bit more crispy. Got to kind of throw some more layers on. Roback, they got fleeces for you. I already mentioned they got hoodies. Whatever you want to look good and feel good, Roback, they are going to be the best product on the market to make sure that you check both those boxes they also got some moisture wicking fabric so if you're out there working out trying to get ready for uh, your new year's resolution that uh, that moisture wicking t-shirt great way to work out on that also got some shorts for you can use to work out some joggers to check all the boxes they've also been proudly leading the nil charge uh, kyle mccord looking for a new home they have partnered with him, Cade Klumnick at Clemson, Nick Singleton at Penn State, and Jalen Milrow getting ready for a college football playoff game, also a part of the Roback team, Audrey Estime as well. Also, they've teamed up with legendary Coach O. The content they have with Coach O has been nothing short of hysterical, so check them out. So, to help the show, here's what you can do. Use code JD on Roback.com for a generous 20% off for all new customers. You're buying Christmas gifts. You're trying to make sure you get that right thing for that right person, Roback. 
promise you they're the way to go. Use code JD to save you 20% off. That's spelled R-H-O-B-A-C-K. 20% off all performance polos, shorts, joggers, fleece. Whatever you want to get at Roback.com, code JD save you 20% just in time now for the end of college football season. Check them out at Roback.com. We appreciate them tremendously for that. All right. Let's get right to it now. Man, the myth, the legend. Producer of the people. Nick Break. Nick, how we doing, baby? What's up? That's it? <laughs> yeah, I didn't really know what to say. Yeah, that's okay. That's um, okay. What's going on? I'd rather not do my picks today, if you don't mind. Because, like, I've watched such a little amount of college football. I, I don't even think I've watched a single snap of a Texas game this year. Okay. Um... I was wrong, dude. That final score was twenty to twenty-seven. I was 20 I was off on the Texas score. Twenty to twenty-seven was the final score, so it wasn't by three, but it was by seven. Darn, that's too bad. That'll be that'll I'll be in the cut up. Whatever. Okay. okay. Sorry. Go ahead. So no. so you don't want to do your picks today? Got gotcha. you. I don't want to do them because I'm pretty much gut instinct on every pick I've made this year, which has served me well. I am above five hundred considerably, but that's good. Wait. Uh, so so if your gut, why can't you just make a pick here? Well, my gut saying not Alabama going... versus Washington. Say who? Alabama Washington. Okay. But I, I just don't know because I think all of these teams have a chance, and I want all of them to win. I like all of these teams. Okay. I want them so all to win. picks what day then? Tuesday? I'll go. No, I'm going to go right before the game. Right before the game? Like the show before the game. 28th. All right, Nick. Two weeks, all right. two weeks yeah. from today. I'll make all right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You do. I mean, my picks are uninformed and uneducated so they're not really important anyway but they're important to me i, I will give them some, a little bit more thought people want to know all right you sleep on it for a couple of moons and we'll we'll circle back speaking of uh, percentages basically with our picks jd ed was asking hey what's jd's percentage on picks jd i have it if you want me to share it it is it's good uh, it's not bad but i don't have to what is it I, I'm, I'm curious i have to go back because i think the picks we do for the show are different than the picks we do on the board they are but they are and you're you're about eleven games above five hundred. Okay, so we're so we're not we're not half bad, man. I need to double check on what we are actually on the show because there's some some show picks we do that don't end up on the board, <laughs> and I think we might even be. I mean, I don't know if that impacts our, our overall record a ton or not, but yeah. Okay, so that's not bad. So, bottom line is fade us when it comes to prize picks. Follow us when it comes to picks in the games. Yeah, apparently okay, we'll take it. Uh, so we got some chats in here. Cotton says Nick only watches kickball highlights. It's very correct. Um, not bad. Doc at all. says, "Come on, Nick." And then I've got a comment that I think is probably my favorite. Dominic Ray says, "Execute Order 66," which is a Star Wars reference. Oh yeah. Um, so obviously, I'm interested in that. First question. People want to know your picks, man. That's true. I, just I don't, I don't blame know. them. I don't blame them. But no, it's all right. I, this, I understand. You got it. Hey, I'm not. I'm not here to pressure you. The live chat is doing that. But I'm, I, I want you to do what is best for you and your family. Yeah, I appreciate it. I just don't want to make anyone upset. Uh, but this this is a, this is in quotes. Um, how much do you think Milrow can improve his connection with his receivers and open up Bama's immediate passing? You know, I think. Um, I mean, he he honestly he ha- that hasn't really been the difference maker for them throughout the course of this season. It's been can he create with his legs? I think I'm a little bit more curious of if they hit enough in an intermediate game and then hit the deep ball. Like, I think it's kind of a build up to those deep shots. Um, I will say this. You have a whole month to work on it. Like, they, they, they have a, a full four-month window to get as much corrected as they need to right now. So, I also feel a little bit, Nick, like at this point in the year, I think you kind of are what you are. I don't know that we're seeing a drastic jump 
in Jalen Milrow being more efficient or less efficient than what he is right now. So I, I think I just lean on the, uh, if, I'm, if I'm Alabama rather, I lean into what we are. Same thing with Michigan. I don't think you try and change your formula too much. I think you dance with the one that brung you. So I guess to answer your question, uh, how much can he improve or how much will he improve? I think we're probably getting what you got all, the, all throughout this course of the season. JD, this next comment kind of concerns me. Jfolio11 says, Nick, the force is with you. This is my last live show for a while. Where are you going? He's going on sabbatical. Okay. Good, what, good for our guy. Don't leave. Yeah, come back. Um, uh, interesting. Okay, well, okay. We'll, miss, we'll miss you, Jay. We'll miss you. We'll miss you. Good thing OG Gary's still around, though. OG Gary uh, is, has been as many shows as Jay Folio 11. He asks, if Texas wins a natty, does that bring further balance and parity to the SEC? Do you think winning at all will all automatically catapult Texas as a Tier 1 team in the Southeastern Conference along with Bama and Georgia? You know, them being in the college football playoff probably puts them in, in that kind of air at this point. I don't know. I understand you got to do it year in and year out. So how do they look with Quinn Ewers or without Quinn Ewers rather in a couple of years? If next year, if he doesn't come back, um, winning, winning at all would definitely do that, though. I think there's no argument to be made against Texas and what they're going to be in the SEC at this point right now, but definitely not if you win the national title. Like I already have said before, Nick, I think that Regardless of what Texas did this season, they would get the same questions of, well, can they do it in the SEC? Well, this isn't the Big 12. Well, can they do it week in and week out? Like, beating Bama, I think, should hold a lot of weight from what they did in week two. So I think Texas is right there in that in that tier one discussion right now, Nick, to be honest with you. Sounds good, J.D. And um, congratulations to Jay Floyd 11. Got a new job. So that's why he'll be Hey, there. good for Jay. So congrats. Good for our guy. Congrats. And I, and I love that this community uh, – OG Gary and Rocky Top Tom both congratulated him. So shout out to this. Uh, That's love. To the program. Uh, next question. This is a good one. Lonnie says, who would be a better matchup for Bama, Washington or Texas? Ooh. I think they both present, present the same kind of problems. Um, I do think that Texas's ability to run the football is what hurt Alabama and Tuscaloosa. Not that Washington can't do that, but I think the stable that Texas has and the familiarity Texas has with Bama – you could go either way there, because I think you could also say, well, you haven't played Washington. Maybe the element of surprise kicks in there. I think it's kind of a similar game flow for both sides, but I, but I do think Texas and the way they run the football and the way they ran the football last time they played Alabama is what would make you nervous. So I'll, pro I'll lean Washington being a better matchup for Alabama, uh, but it's very, very soft lean there. Well, and, and someone in the chat, Kosa Sochi, uh, says, hey, Texas isn't going to beat Bama twice, 34 uh, 10 if that happens wow 34 in, 10 that'd be kind of lopsided a little bit in that Houston. would be a great game to watch and yeah in texas yeah that's that true. would be wild if that that's happens true. man uh rocky top tom says which team would more easily sustain follow-ups to sex success after winning this year's title washington michigan or texas it's too easy to say alabama hmm. Jay, what do you think that's a great question would more easily sustain success uh yeah Who, who's got the best chance of I would say trying to defend that title next year. Yeah, that's a great question, man. Well, the thought behind that would be whoever wins the national title probably loses their quarterback, whether it's Quinn Ewers, even though he's 90% coming back. If you win a national title, like, do you have anything left to really prove? I think at that point, you probably lean towards that 10% and say, all right, I'm going to go play in the NFL. Michael Penix Jr., obviously going pro. J.J. McCarthy, there keeps on being buzz around him being a first-round guy. So at that point, you win a national title. Again, same thing with Quinn Ewers. What else do you have left to prove? He probably goes pro. I think that the way that Texas has recruited, 
gives me the most confidence in the talent they have in house and what they have in that quarterback room. I understand you lean on Arch Manning going forward. I probably would say Texas there by nature of just the overall roster around them. Um, now, who would I take to defend the national title should they win it? I'd probably go towards Michigan because of the Big Ten. And not to say the Big Ten's easier than the SEC, but I think their model of play is a little bit less dependent on the quarterback. So in that way, it's like you could change out J.J. McCarthy and probably still have a good amount of success. Not saying J.J. McCarthy isn't still responsible for a ton of success, but I do think there's something to be said for how much Texas leans on the quarterback, how much Washington leans on the quarterback. Switch out quarterback, Michigan's probably still a team competing in the, in the top tier of the Big Ten. Hey, shout out to Lonnie Moore for breaking some news for us. It's really helpful when people can do this in the chat since we're rolling on the show. It says Jalen Milrow is confirmed that he will be returning next year. He confirmed this in the middle of our show, and yep. I got confirmation. Uh, so more Jalen Milrow next year. Something we thought was going to happen, but uh, that might make Rocky Tom Tom's question even easier for Alabama yeah. to be success. So. Yeah, Bama, I mean, yeah, that, I guess that was kind of the, the thought all along. But yeah, yeah. That, I mean, Bama's still going to be Bama next year, and it's not oh, yeah. getting any easier to take them down. And they, you would think, will have a pretty solid amount of production around him returning. They were 125th in the country this year. Anytime you're that low from one year going to the next, you probably have a higher retention rate the next season. So it's a, it's a lot of young dudes on this team right now that are contributing for them, Nick, and I don't think that'll change too much next season with you know the, the overall lineup. They'll lose some guys, but I don't think it'll be a, a complete overhaul. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a couple more questions. This is a good one. It's from T-A-K-L or KL Farms. Nebraska fan here. All this talk about a quarterback and zero talk about building a much better offensive line. How much would a quarterback improve if we actually had a great O-line? So even think about this, J.D. Mm -hmm. What about Jeff Sims? Would, his improve, would he have been a better quarterback this year for the Cornhusters? I think it's a great question. I think... My my concern there is, if I'm Nebraska, I understand the thought behind the offensive line, but they still ran the football relatively well. I'm pulling it up right now. They mm -hmm. had 176 yards a game on the ground, which is good for top 35 in the country. Quarterback sack rate wasn't great, obviously. I mean, 10% of the time you're getting sacked, so that's bad. Some of that is maybe on Jeff Sims. Some of that's maybe on Chubba Purdy trying to be a little bit you know, too much of a playmaker. I really do lean on the idea that if you can just take care of the football a little bit better, gave it away two times a game last season, almost three times a game, two and a half times a game. They were worse in the country when it came to their turnover margin. If they can be better doing that, they're probably making a bowl game. Now, if you want to take that next step, compete for Big Ten championships and compete for some more tier one stuff, like, yeah, the offensive line has to take that next step. So that's kind of the thing right now, Nick, that I think a lot of teams and organizations across the board are trying to figure out. How do you allocate NIL? Because a quarterback can take a huge, huge difference in your team. But also, if you don't have the right things up front, do you maybe say, all right, we're going to spend that 500000 to a $1 million we're going to put on a quarterback. We're actually going to distribute that across the board here and just get some linemen to make sure we have that whole thing solidified. So, I mean, Michigan's a great example of that. They built it from the trenches first, got a quarterback later, and then they got to cooking. So, I think you definitely have to have the offensive line in the right spot. But I do think the quarterback has to be, has to be, a, I'll say this, Having a quarterback probably gives you a little bit more of a spark from year one to year two under Matt Rule. Yeah, probably. <laughs> what do you think? Good, I good would. answer. Yeah, I good would. answer. Uh, JD, what do you say? Two more, one more? Let's do two more. Yeah, let's do it. Okay, this is a recent question came, coming from Change the Channel. Uh, JD, who has the best defense left in college football? 
I don't know if that means of the Man. four or just in the country, but either way. I think he's speaking to the. I think he's speaking to the four. Okay. I mean, statistically, you would say you would say Michigan, because they're allowing less than ten points a game. I'm gonna say Alabama though, for the sake of this conversation. I think what they have in the back end is playing really well. The way they played against Georgia in the SEC title game really showed me something. What they have in in the trenches. Dallas Turner is a freak show coming off the edge, like. I would probably take Alabama to have the best defense. Again, statistically, your favorite Michigan, but Alabama, I think, is the hottest team right now, and th- their trend overall defensively makes me think they're the best defensive unit. It's a big reason why we have them winning that football game. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, one more question, Good JD. stuff, brother. Um, while oh, OG Gary says, when is the kickball season kickoff? Not till March, man. So uh, we'll be getting ready for spring ball whenever uh, my team will get be getting out there. Huge. Um, but JD... Let me look for a question. So if you want to, you're great. If you want to tap or, uh, yeah, you know what? Actually, I, I wanted something. to. Yeah, that, that's great. <laughs> I wanted to actually do that anyway. Okay. When it comes to this channel, we are pushing towards 200k subs. And when it comes to our audience, I'm going to find it right now. Of our watching audience, we have 72 percent of y'all that are not subscribed. Which again, we're not here to tell you what to do. We're just asking if you don't mind subscribing to the channel, it would be a tremendous way to help us moving forward. It helps build the brand, helps build the show. All that's to say, if you want to support the show, subscribing, one of the best, if not the best way to do that. So everyone tuned in right now that's live, if you could subscribe to the channel while you're here, just double check you're subscribed, hit that subscribe button, huge help for us. And we, again, would greatly appreciate it. Okay, JD, thank you very much, my friend. Love it, brother. Um, so I, I, I liked this question. I got to find it again. I scrolled back up. And then no, you're good, up. man. So I apologize. You're guys. good. Um, okay. It's not a question. It is a comment. <laughs> hey, appreciate Drew Dozer subscribing there. That's big time. I know. I, that's I, that's time. actually, I was just looking at that. It's a Nebraska. Well, actually, I don't think it's a corn Oscar fan because there's a corn and then a clown. So maybe not. But uh, this last question coming from Oscar. How awesome would it be if the title, it would be a title Man, I did not do that right. You're but good, bro. How awesome would it be if Texas was to beat Alabama twice and win the title? JD, from a like from a non-bias, how awesome would that be for their program if they could do that? If, if Sarkeesian could oh, be beat huge. Nick Saban twice? Oh, it'd be huge. I mean, I think at that point you're putting Steve Sarkeesian, if he's not already a tier one guy by nature of what they did this season, and tier one's probably a little bit lofty, but like I don't think there's anything else you're saying about Steve Sarkeesian if he beats Nick Saban the second time in, in the same year. Like, to beat Bama once is a tremendous feat. To do it in Tuscaloosa is huge. To do it twice in the same season, to win a national title, at that point, like, I think Texas is in a very scary place going forward because they already were recruiting well. They recruited well last season, had a top three class in the country, but you put a national championship next to that, you have two wins over Nick Saban next to that, I think you just pour rocket fuel on, on the direction they're headed, which they've probably already done, but, like, they would really, really light the fuse if they're able to do that. So that would be huge. Hey, I appreciate everyone in the live chat, too. A lot of people saying they just subscribed. Yeah. If you're dialed in right now live, just double-check on that subscribe button for us. That would be huge. We appreciate that. Seeing a lot of y'all do that, and that's, uh, like I said, a huge way to help us and to to help the show. So that's huge. And a lot of people asking about program shirts. J.D., uh, but before I get out of here, I do want to ask one more. This is really sure. quick, and then I'll leave. I love it. Uh, so we can get out and get some editing done. Immabel says, ask J.D., if you could create a super team with offense, which offense and defensive side from this season would you take? Oh, man. I like it. That's a great question. I'll see you Tuesday, J.D. Nick, you're the man. I'll see you Tuesday, brother. Yes, sir. Appreciate you. Best in the game. Nick Brake. 
producing the whole operation. Man, I could take it. So here's, I'll probably say Iowa. Iowa defensively was elite this year. And their numbers probably could even be a little bit better if they weren't left out on the field so much. Because the offense, yet again, not great. Not great. So I'll take Iowa as my defense. Offensively, a lot of ways to go here. Oregon is tempting. Washington's tempting. Texas is tempting. I'm probably down to those three if we're going to be real here. I'll say, hmm, man, if I'm taking the best version of this team, I'm going to take Texas because of how multiple they are. I'd have a, a beast at tight end. I got two NFL wide receivers. The big thing, I can run the football. Washington, they can run the football well. I don't think they can run the way that Texas is running the ball right now. So we'll say Texas offensively, Iowa defensively. Nick, if you asked me that before the season, I would not have said those two teams. But here we are sitting here late December, middle December, whatever it is, and uh, riding with that as our, uh, as our super team. We'll go ahead and take Kirby Smart to be our head coach, too, if we can do that. So, hey, appreciate y'all being dialed in, man. Those are our playoff picks. We'll have our national championship prediction here as that gets closer. When those games finish on New Year's Day, we'll have an instant reaction for you right here on this channel. Okay, so, again, another reason to be subscribed. 70% of y'all not subscribed. We just appreciate y'all being dialed in with us. It's not a, a thing we're trying to guilt y'all into doing or trying to say, hey, what, what, what's going on here? We're just saying, hey, we got a certain amount of the audience not subscribed. You're already watching the show. Hit that subscribe button. Helps us. Helps you. High tide raises all boats. Hey, we love y'all. We appreciate y'all. This is awesome. Talking college football every single day on this show, The Hard Count. For myself, J.D. Piquel, for Nick Brake, for all of us here at On3, we appreciate y'all. We love y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling, and we will see y'all next time.